0: You're not gonna cut the part where I was just going, I suck, I suck, I suck, How are you? Uh, no, I was
1: gonna put that in like five. Well, That's gonna, gonna be like the, the bumper.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: hey, everybody! Microphones of madness. I'm Rodney over there. Steve,
0: let's hear it for the vague blur.
1: Yeah. Today we are talking A Scanner Darkly, the 2006 motion picture starring Keanu Reeves, Robert Downey Jr., Woody Harrelson, and Winona Ryder, and a couple other people. Yeah. Cast of tens. Now, go ahead and fill us in on the background of this movie, Steve, because I know it's based on a Philip K. Dick novel. It is based on a
0: Philip K. Dick And K. you're the novel.
1: biggest fan of Dick there is. I love Dick. <laughs> I do. <laughs>
0: Um, this is based on it's I think it's 1977 novel of the same title scanner darkly, which is about the dangers of drug abuse mm-hmm. and, uh, different, different perspectives. Cause it's Philip K. Dick. So he's going to give you different perspectives about drug use and how it impacts what it means to be, um, a moral person.
1: The story goes somewhat like this. This is the quick synopsis portion of the broadcast. Uh, Keanu Reeves plays an undercover cop uh, who is tasked with uh, helping to rid the civilized world of a potent drug called Substance D.
0: Yes. It's it's said in the text of the film that you – There are two types of people in the world, people who are addicted to Substance D, and people who haven't tried it yet.
1: Right. And over the course of the events of the film, we find out that Keanu Reeves is also addicted to Substance D, as are all of his friends. And through an interesting exchange of events, he is called upon to essentially surveil... Himself. Yes. Because these undercover cops have no idea who each other are. They all wear special suits that, um, the effect in the movie is they flicker different parts of different people, but they're essentially there to make you blend into the background to make you the most generic person you could possibly be.
0: Right. They make you anonymous. Yes. Um, they, they, they hide everything through just a an
1: overwhelming amount of stimulus. Mm-hmm. They overstimulate you to the point where you start ignoring it, which is a really cool idea for like an urban camouflage.
0: So, yeah. So he um, ends up having to surveil himself. And between that and the effect of the drug itself, the, the drug in certain cases splits the hemispheres of the brain into separate identities Mm -hmm. and because he is tasked with surveying himself um he splits into his drug abuser personality bob arctor and his uh undercover cop personality fred and uh as as the film goes on he actually um, doesn't realize that, the, that he's the same person, right. as, as the other.
1: He, he watches himself on displays recordings of previous days and begins to disassociate as an effect. And the surveilling yourself really kind of exasperates or exacerbates the um, effect of the drug.
0: Right, and it, now he's not the only one affected by this this is just mainly from his point of view, but pretty much every one of his friends is equally fucked up in different ways mm-hmm. um, from extreme paranoia to malicious paranoia mm-hmm. to um seeing bugs
1: <laughs> yep. yep the The movie starts with a with a uh coming down bug freak out from a minor character. Um, now, yeah, this movie is about the effects of drug abuse, but it also continues that that great Philip K. Dick tradition of writing uh, stories that also center around the entire concept of identity.
0: Right. And now normally, you'll get in, in a lot of Dick, you'll have the question of what is human? And he'll pair... Um, people who people against androids like mm-hmm. uh, Blade Runners. Right. Do androids dream of electric sheep where you have the uh, artificial humans acting more human than the actual humans. Right. Um, we have a twist on this here where you have. Um, of the story are what you would generally call the bad guys. You have the, right. the drug users are the heroes and they're the sympathetic characters. Um, We're asked the, the law enforcement, are morally questionable. Um, they, right. do, they do reprehensible things to to do their job, and mm-hmm. they they do it. Um, and some of them regret. I mean, they're, they're definitely. I don't know if we want to spoil this. It's
1: right. It's an older film. It came out in two thousand six. But we we'll save that part. There, um, there's, a, there's a twist ending. There there is a twist. Um, in some ways, you know, you have that. That idea. It also has the uh, morally questionable law enforcement, um, like we see in Minority Report. Um, We have that dissociative disorder type of situation, like we see in Total Recall. Um, You know, we don't see him sending messages to himself a la paycheck, but.
0: No, there's the science fiction. Aspects of the story are very pared down. You have the scramble suit,
1: right? Um, you have facial recognition technology. Yeah,
0: future tech surveillance technology, mm-hmm. um, but nothing really that that today you couldn't think of would right. actually happen. Back in right. 1977, it was a little over the top, probably. Mm-hmm. Um, today, it's like it's almost a little dated.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, it's it's very similar to some of the stuff you see in uh, modern criminal procedures, procedurals on television and stuff. Um, But this the setting of the story is one of my particular favorite tropes of science fiction. It's that, you know, five minutes from now sort of type of setting.
0: The not too distant future.
1: Right. Right. Like like the old Max Hedrum uh, 20 minutes into the future.
0: Right. This is set. Um, seven years into the future, um,
1: ten years ago, right. So it's it's set now. It happened last year, but uh, you know, even even in uh, you know, if you think of it, it was the original novel set the same way. Uh, no, it was, in the 90s. it was set in the nineties. It was set in the nineties. Yeah,
0: that's you know, if you're going to be doing that in science fiction, that's gonna, you're going to get laughed eventually. Yeah. It's just it's gonna but happen. But it,
1: it's 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 really interesting though that, that Dick was able to predict uh the drug war, he was able to predict uh essentially designer like high profile designer drugs and things like that way before the, both of these things really became like front page news.
0: Right. Well now if you read the book, um there's a and I think they have this in the in the movie as well, there's an afterword. Where he basically confesses that, like, while it is a fictional account, mm-hmm. they're all based on his friends from when he was, in, you know, hanging out in the 60s. And right. he, he was, you know, a drug user. His right. friends were drug users. And there's a list of all of his buddies and what happened to them. And it's all like permanent psychosis, death, liver damage, the, mm-hmm. you know, the list
1: goes Even- on. It's a, it's a long list. They included it at the end of the film, uh, as that was the original afterward in the story. Uh, he even includes himself on the list, having uh, permanent pancreatic damage.
0: Yep. He should probably have included permanent psychosis on himself as well. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm saying that like half tongue-in-cheek, but, I mean, Philip K. Dick went through some shit. Mm-hmm. Um, he, I mean, it's infamous, the story of how he, um, was having tooth pain mm. and through the, the, the pain predicted an ambulism in his son's heart. Right. And so he freaked out and thought, um, a spaceship called Vallis was transmuting these, um, this knowledge to him from space. Right. And, um, ended up becoming a born again Gnostic Christian because of it. (laughs) But so you might want to include himself on this list of permanent psychosis. Right. Right. And I'm not going to hold it against him because.
1: Well, he kind of in later interviews, he kind of referred to such things a little half tongue in cheek as well. I mean, yeah, he's, he was an
0: enigma and, you know, he, he's one of my favorite authors and he gets deep. Mm -hmm. Um, even, even in if you read the the book, I don't know if you've read the book. Um,
1: no, I haven't. I came into this movie having never seen this film before and not read, having read that particular book.
0: I mean, he gets he gets deep into, you know, what 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 is the spiritual side of taking drugs, mm-hmm. and and without coming out and saying it i mean he's saying that it it blocks you from from being able to experience the gnosis being able to you know directly um become one with with god or the creator or whatever Mm -hmm. um actually that's why it's called the scanner darkly the question ends up being can do these scanners see clear through you or do they see it um, see so occlude it occluded.
1: So right. That's where the big crux is. The big, big monologue that... toward the uh, climax of the film.
0: Right. And, and the funny thing is in, in the, in the book, when he's, he does it on purpose. He know it's at a point where he knows he's being watched by himself. And he, mm-hmm. he grabs a book off the shelf and it's a, it's like the Kama Sutra or something. It's like sex positions. And he opens it up to show the camera what it is and starts, um, not reading that, but reciting that about the Skinner Darkly mm-hmm. <laughs> and he's although while I was thinking, I hope they don't pan into the title of the book. It would ruin my joke,
1: <laughs> yeah, um one thing you know we 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 talk about this a lot we we give Keanu Reeves a lot of shit uh about some of his other performances, and in this one. You know, you you say it's his best performance because I I think it's great. I think it's a perfect because, role for him, right? It's the it was the perfect role. He's able to kind of play that uh, kind of laid back, burnout type of character. Um, I say that he was at his best in this film when he was allowed to fade into the background, and. You know, we have Woody Harrelson and Robert Downey Jr. doing really good turns in this film as well. They actually, I think, they steal the show. They're they're great. They are they together. They are hilarious. I, I don't think I was supposed to really supposed to laugh as much as I did at this movie. No, because it was dark.
0: But right. I, mean, they, I mean, when I was talking about the paranoid, um, that's who I was referring to. You had. Um, Robert Downey Jr. plays Barris, who is just an evil fucker,
1: right? <laughs> and and um, almost, almost in the way he delivers the the character is almost like a proto Tony Stark.
0: He is Tony Stark if Tony Stark was was um, consciously malicious mm-hmm. and didn't know what he was doing,
1: <laughs> right. <laughs> because, right?
0: Because because he, he makes all these inventions that never work.
1: Right, he's like the anti Tony Stark. Right,
0: he he like makes a silencer out of like wrapping foam and toilet paper around a gun. Right,
1: he <laughs> builds a he builds a recording device and leaves the front door open just in case somebody breaks into the house.
0: Right, he he he, he tells tells um, Freck, who's the minor character with the bugs, mm. that he can get him laid for like two bucks by extracting the cocaine out of a out of a lidocaine. Like. Right. None of which is true, but he's like that 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 guy who read the anarchist cookbook and is mm-hmm. just smart enough to think he knows what what's going on.
1: Right. And he
0: does know a few things. Right. And he's not dumb. And if he wasn't on substance D, he probably would have been a, a break that he might have been Tony Stark if he wasn't on Substance D. Right.
1: Right. Well, it's it's also interesting the way they The way Linklater frames some of the shots with all three of them, because we we are told repeatedly that substance D addiction separates the halves of your brain, and they're always they always frame Keanu Reeves's character in the middle with uh, Woody Harrelson's like emotional constant outburst, always on his right side, and Robert Downey Jr. Being the uh, the analytical one, who's always like processing and analyzing on the left side, for the most part, and and they they kind of represent what uh, Keanu Reeves' character is going through just by them interacting with each other, right? Because while they are friends and together, they're all a complete unit. Downey Jr.'s character, Barris, and Woody Harrelson's character do
0: Luckman. not get along.
1: Yeah, Luckman is, is his name. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean, the, to the point where um, Luckman ends up choking on something mm-hmm. and uh, is trying to get Robert Downey Jr.'s attention. And, you know, he's just sitting there fucking with this shit and notices it and doesn't do anything about it until he's down and thinks he's and he, dead.
1: Then he calls 911.
0: Right. But it isn't until after he thinks he's already dead i mm-hmm. I'm laughing at that, but it's really it's it's,
1: it, it's yeah, it's it's, it's it's intense. It's it's an intense scene and in a, I think with different characters that would have been a hugely like intense scene. Yeah. But oh, those what a wacky lot of
0: dopers.
1: Yeah, those those two wacky guys, it's it's almost comical and and we we are also pulled away from it because we are we are watching it transpire on on a screen. Rather, right, because, on a screen within a screen, essentially. Because
0: right. Keanu Reeves is sees it when he's going over his surveillance tapes.
1: Mm-hmm. So, um, And he actually tunes in live for this little section. So we know right. it's happening in real time. Um, and we can't yeah, see so, so,
0: so Winona Ryder's performance in this either, because she does a
1: really good job with right. what, she, what she has to do. Right, right. She 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 works out well. I mean, at first, you know, it seems like she's just kind of the arm candy, right? But then it turns out she has a very important role to play, and it's part of the big twist toward yeah. the end. Yes. Um. The other thing that I thought was darkly humorous was um, what was the the bug guy? Freck. Freck. Freck commits suicide, and they pull us away from the action, and they give us this sequence of Freck's suicide, and it is—it's played for laughs. It's weird.
0: It's—it's kind of—it's played for for laughs, but it's also played for like what a pathetic piece of shit this guy is. Mm -hmm. Um, So Freck has problems. He sees bugs wherever he goes. Mm -hmm. Uh, And they make that a lot more clear in the book than they do in the movie, but he's plagued by
1: bugs. Right. It's it's all it's all uh, from him trying to get off of substance. D.
0: And uh, he 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 is an outsider. He's in the circle of their friends, but he is an outsider. He's not in the inner circle. And Mm -hmm. he sees um, the rest of the cast deteriorate, uh, becoming more bickering. And he, he even says that the, the scene's becoming bad, and he's just going to go. And So he decides he's going to go by offing himself. But he, he, he doesn't just, like, grab a gun and shoot himself in the head like, no. like you would. He decides he's going to overdose on barbiturates and wine. Yes. And he wants to leave, like, he wants his suicide to mean something right so, no he he wants he, he plans how he's gonna be found, and it's with a copy of the fountainhead,
1: right a copy of the <laughs> fountainhead and a and half a, written letter to exxon right to to protest the loss
0: of his gas car right so even like his his the message he wants to send is not concise or concrete because here he's he's wants people to think he's like this uh Unrequited Superman, but then he's like showing how pathetic he is because mm-hmm. he has a canceled Exxon credit card.
1: Right, because he, uh, <laughs> you know, he decides later that he doesn't want to uh, commit suicide with Thunderbird. He <laughs> wants, he goes out and buys like a seventy dollar bottle of wine to do this, <laughs> right.
0: but then he ends up getting burned uh, when he didn't buy barbiturates. He bought like a shit ton of acid, right? <laughs> and so he took like. I don't know how many it was, but it was a lot of acid. It was like 60 tabs of acid. Right. <laughs> and he, uh, he's visited by an interdimensional being who's going to read him his sins.
1: In shifts.
0: In shifts. And that's where the laughs come in because he's, he's sitting there clutching his Anran book and his letter and he's like, oh, you're going to read me my sins, aren't you?
1: Right. Well, at least I got wine. Right. You know, and and yeah, and the scene is it, it is it's played for oh, a thousand years later. They are they got to the sixth grade.
0: Yeah, it, it's played for laughs, but really, I mean, once you get past the the ridiculousness of how pathetic he is, mm-hmm. it's just a sad way to to even want to go. Right.
1: Yeah. It, it's it's very it's. It's a sad way to go. Again, in someone else's hands, this, this scene would not have been darkly humorous. And, yeah, it was weird because, you know, I, I found myself laughing at um, Barris and, and Luckman constantly. <clears throat> um, found myself laughing at, at his, the, the guy's suicide. And then we carry on, carry on. And...
0: But even like the subject matter, you're laughing at these guys and they're like, they're, they're having been there,
1: mm-hmm.
0: being part of the drug culture is just a dark, dark place. Mm-hmm. And there's not really a lot that that's funny about it. I guess if you're in it, And you're living your life. You don't see that. You don't see it as dark. And you, you know, it's like life, right? But if you're able to step away and look at it, it's a shit fucking existence. Mm -hmm. And Philip K. Dick, just the fact that you're able to laugh at those guys, and and in a not in a you idiots kind of way, not like Schadenfreude or anything. You're laughing at them because they, because it's presented in a way of these are just guys living their lives.
1: Right. And and it's completely absurd. Right. And it doesn't pull,
0: it doesn't pull many punches. um, Because, you know, you, you watch these guys deteriorate and you watch the relationships break down and you watch their, their lives fall apart.
1: Yeah. Especially Keanu Reeves. I mean, we're following him around. He goes from lucid to, essentially a vegetable right over the course of the
0: film right and he pretty much predicts that um in the speech that he gives at the beginning of the film Mm -hmm. when he when he strays at the beginning of the film he's giving a speech like a lion's club right and he's like you know it's a canned speech got to get the drugs off our streets it's ruining society blah 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 and he can't he can't remember the text of the speech, even though he's given it a thousand times because it's bullshit. Right. And he's slowly, his mind slowly deteriorating. Mm -hmm. And it's not that he's becoming dumb. He's just becoming um, split psychotic. Mm -hmm. And uh, at one point when he goes off the, the um, written speech, he says that your relationships are going to, to die you, your your life is going to turn to shit, all because of su- substance D, mm. and throughout the movie, that's exactly what happens to him.
1: Right. And and him leading double life, as we said before, only accelerates this. And right. this like dissociated personality. Yes. And. Yeah, I mean it's 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 not. There's no there's this is just like all story. There's this is not like uh, some Philip K. Dick adaptations where there's a big action sequence or something like that. I
0: mean every other Philip K. Dick adaptation right. kind of that's ever been written.
1: Right. They they always have <laughs> to write. You know, it's big sci-fi blockbuster. You know, let's give Arnold a machine gun and right. stuff like that. Um, this is just straight up the story of a man's deterioration.
0: It's, it's, you know, um, it's, it's made more concise because Mm -hmm. it's, you know, it's not a book, it's a, it's a film. So they have to, they have to compact it to fit into the length of the film and to make it something that you can watch. Right. Right. But uh, they didn't add anything, and they didn't take anything away. They updated a few things. Um, they they updated the prices of stuff, so it would be more um, realistic, right? Um, they they updated the dates, and they you know they updated the technology a little bit, right? Um, other than that, it's like straight. It's a straight adaptation. Um, and personally, I think it's um it's the best. Adaptation of a Philip K. Dick property that I've ever, ever seen. Mm-hmm. And before that, I would say that Screamers was probably the the best one prior to that.
1: A little Peter Weller movie, yeah. Screamers is great. We should add that to the list. Um, yeah. Now, the other other interesting thing about this film is that it is shot with a rotoscope animation. Yeah. So a technique that is virtually unused now outside of you know little bits and bobs here and there. But it's put up been pretty much all either CG or uh, or, or live action. Right. right. Or 2D animation. But this is all rotoscoped and it gives it a surrealistic feel.
0: It really does. And there's parts of it where you can tell they, they screwed with it a little bit. You'll see like the scenery kind of pulsate mm-hmm. for a second. Or or some somebody'll be sitting on a couch or something and kind of shift. Right. So yeah, it was able to it was able to really give that feel that you that of the psychosis and drug
1: use. Right. And the, those suits, man. Those really fuck with you, <laughs> and the, they the do thing- a lot of weird. They do a lot of close-ups. Um, you know, these characters are wearing these suits, and the faces are constantly flickering. And you know, they but they do this the traditional camera technique of they're talking, so you know, let's do let's do a close-up on their face, and the face is just constantly moving and. And all the faces are different. I don't think I saw the same portion of of the character in each scene.
0: Now, in the beginning, when when you first get introduced to the the suit, Mm -hmm. um, and I think it's the only full face that is shown, is one of them is Philip K. Dick's face. Right. And I think that's the only one that's actually a full face. Um, Most of them are quartered. Like the right. face is, is quartered, and you get different different features in each quarter. It's it's jarring.
1: Mm-hmm. There's one other full face in the scene where uh, the his handler is telling him that they're going to pick him up and and send him to a New Day or new new, new path. path to get detoxed and, and stuff. The uh, handler's face. Turns into a skull hmm. briefly. Interesting. And they tease it that a couple of times because there's a couple of like leg shots and stuff like that where you see, you know, the femur and the, the tibia and fibula, like one of them for some reason is a skeleton. Right. But yeah, they do, they're doing the, the mid range shot there and the face just is clearly it's a full face shot of a skull.
0: That's really cool. I didn't notice that,
1: but uh, right, right in the betrayal scene. It's it's right in the betrayal. <laughs> yep.
0: um, well, I'll tell you, I, I got I got clean before this movie came out, but uh, the book had affected me so much that when I ended up going to detox, um, I was scared shitless. Um, Because I thought uh, it would. (laughs) They don't treat you very well at New Path. No, (laughs) we'll say they're they're um they're of the Scientology um method of getting you clean. They break you the fuck down and then build you back up.
1: Right. That's their motto. Right. Maybe.
0: Well, that that's how it's supposed to work.
1: Right. But the worst cases are sent off to the farm. Yes, because you know, why don't you give her
0: the blue flowers mm-hmm. that bloom in the, the spring before they're
1: stomped on? Yep. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of little things in this movie that are really cool. Yeah, there's there's a lot there's a lot to break down, like like Luckman and Barris being like two halves of a brain and stuff like that. Yeah. Um yeah it's um. it was a good movie. I was I was really impressed.
0: Yeah, I don't think so, it did very well at the box office, which kind of disappoints me.
1: I I I think a lot of it was I mean, this it was 2006, so this was one of Keanu Reeves' first movies post Matrix. And it wasn't a big actioner.
0: Yeah, it wasn't an actioner and I think people got a little um intimidated by the rotoscoping.
1: Yeah. Yeah, because it 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 is. I mean, even in the it was like, the, I remember the ads for the film showing it, and they're you know they showed the suits.
0: Yeah, um, it lost. It lost a million dollars.
1: Yeah. Um. Yeah, it was it was a bold choice to do to do rotoscoping as opposed to either traditional animation or CG or even just leave it as it was.
0: Yeah, I don't think it would have had the same impact had it been just um, regular live action.
1: Yeah, uh, because I, I you'd, think have you're to, right.
0: you'd have to to get the same like um, effect that you would get with the rotoscope. And I'm I'm not saying like full rotoscope, but like the little quirky things, mm-hmm. like uh, like when when Barris is sitting on the couch and he's a bug for a second.
1: Right. To do that, you'd have to to CG a lot of it, either CG or you'd have would have had to build a full body. Bug suit,
0: and and just the way things slid over each other and pulsated, and th- some of the, the 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 shadows, and that not it was completely rotoscope, but some things it looked like were more cartoonish than others. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I think some of the wider shots, particularly, became more cartoonish.
0: Yeah, so so it really, I mean. Just visually, it really screws with you.
1: Right. And there, there, I even spotted a couple of frames that were not rotoscoped in there. I mean, just like single one, two frame shots of the guy sitting in the living room. You know, and it was like rotoscoped Robert Downey Jr. And then for just for a second, it was actual Robert Downey Jr. And then it's back to the rotoscope. So,
0: fantastic film. Hmm. Uh, I can't recommend enough to to see it, but honestly, read the book as well. Mm-hmm. Because it's you know I'd recommend almost any Philip K. Dick book, but this is one of the top five outside. Yeah.
1: And that's it for a scanner. Darkly. We'll see you guys next time. Yeah. Bye.